loved Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, I was obsessed. Loving Freddy Krueger, loving A Nightmare on Elm Street. But part two came along and it was just a strange movie. For a lot of us, Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was our introduction to like, there's a lot of gay in that movie. It's kind of a siren song for the queer horror community. Mark Patton's a, I mean, he's a scream queen. I wake up in the middle of the first movie that I'm the lead actor in and realize that there's a gay subtext in it. It wasn't subtext, it was right there. This movie is the gayest thing. And we did Xanadu last month. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Pegvich, and this is episode number 252. Currently appearing at a number of film festivals across the US is Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, a documentary that delves into the impact that a horror movie sequel had on the professional and personal life of its rising star, Mark Patton. Exploring the issues of homophobia in the movie industry and LGBT empowerment found in horror cinema, Scream Queen also stands as a testament to the strength and perseverance of a gay man who fought all manner of obstacle and survived not only to tell his story, but fight for those who also face a similar plight. Joining me now on the podcast is the film's directors, Roman Chimenti and Tyler Jensen. Thank you very much, guys, for joining me on the podcast today. Awesome. Thanks for having us. That was a beautiful intro. Yeah, thank you. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so, look, I'm, I'm an 80s kid. I grew up in the era of VHS, and a nightmare on Elm Street movies were, were a fixture um, from, the, from the video store. Um, I clearly remember watching that second movie because it was so different you had a male protagonist it was more of a possession story yeah at the time when i watched that which might have been i don't know maybe 9 10 11 years old um the gay subtext really went over my head um i'm just asking you guys do you remember the first time you saw the film and what your initial reaction to it was sure um so this is roman i guess for me i saw it in the 80s it was probably 1986 and I think I was also about 11 years old, 12 years old. And my initial reaction was, oh my God, this is a really scary movie. It was the first one that made me fall in love with horror. And I think now looking back, it was probably because I was a, a I was going into junior high school and I was a male struggling with, you know, the social etiquette of other kids and being a little awkward and finding myself and so being able to identify with that character just it meant a lot to me and it also was extremely scary but i didn't pick up on any sexual undertones overtones to it so yeah it kind of is is what launched me into who i am today without realizing it I came to the series this is tyler i came to the series much later in the 90s through my older sister and I think I saw them all out of order, probably the fifth one first, and then work backwards and forwards. But the negative reception of part two was well established by the time I got there. So while I was doing my research and kind of catching up to speed, uh, it was believed that this was an inferior film and not really worth my time. So I maybe has have seen it when I was young, when I was doing my first uh, delve into horror. But it wasn't until 2010 when the internet was like, oh, this is the gayest horror movie ever made, that I went back to it and was shocked at how I missed that the first time. It's, uh, 
really interesting that you just mentioned that um, because that was going to be my next question. I mean, the film since, I don't know, maybe 20 years ago or so has been really embraced as not only a cult classic, but one which the gay horror community has especially taken to. Um, when do you think that really started to change? Was that something that was apparent at first? Do you, when you in your research, did you find critics really touching on that stuff at the time of release? Or is this something that came much later? Like maybe, I think maybe it was the late 90s or so, there was like magazine articles dedicating to that element of the movie? Um, well, on, on an editorial level, yeah, it, it, I know that it had started at that point in the, in the later 90s, but it was really the explosion of the internet that started that conversation because it wasn't just, uh, it wasn't just like the, the, the in-depth look. It was really just all the, the comment sections of things that really made it explode. It, it, I, I think it was mostly just dismissed in the beginning. And then slashers were out of fashion through the 90s, so mm -hmm. it wasn't spoken about very much. And then as the rise of 80s nostalgia started to happen and the, and the, the boom of the internet is when all of this really just kind of exploded. So I would say by the time that, mo that documentary came out, Never Sleep Again, I think the conversation was in full force and that's really when, when we all started to run with it. That's when I discovered Mark Patton. Right. There were some like college uh, essays and some research books done about this topic. I think the one I can think of most is Monsters in the Closet from Harry Benshaw. Mm -hmm. And in, during our research, we were discovering those. So these conversations were happening, but it wasn't really in vogue until, I think, the late 2000s. Mm -hmm. yeah. The, uh, the element of the internet is really interesting to me because for all the flack the internet does get, especially message boards, which message boards seem like something so far away now because we're so far removed from that time. But the cool thing about it was that people can get together, whether film fans or what have you, and talk about things in movies that maybe academics, maybe film critics missed the first time and really flesh out ideas that weren't there before. Yeah, I mean, I think the, fun, the first thing to consider, though, is that while this wasn't a new realization for this movie I think it was being talked about in circles the scholars and the academics and the people that can actually have that conversation but what ends up happening is when it hits the internet it's really just becoming like slanderous talking points mm -hmm. and that's that's when it derails the conversation and I think that's what introduces all of us here it's what made Mark step in and say you know what I'm going to reclaim this because this conversation's totally off the wall. And is that what really made you guys want to make this film? I mean, you both have been in the industry for a while, but this movie, Screen Queen, this is your true calling card. Um, what is about, was that element there about wanting to rewrite uh, history and reapproach the conversation in a different way? Was that what really drove you both to really uh, not only make the film, but here you are, how many months later, um, promoting your film from city to city? Oh my God, absolutely. I mean, for me, I just really, really wanted to be, I had something to say and I wanted to be a part of this. As soon as I found, Mark had, was really the true warrior here. He had already put the wheels in motion, which is what allowed me to find him and say, I want to be a part of this with you. I want to join forces because your story 
there's elements of my story in there. There's elements of Tyler's story. And when I met Tyler, he felt the same way. I mean, we, we all came together. Because I think most gay people on some level, this is all of our story, you know? Absolutely. <clears throat> I remember meeting Roman on a freelance job. We were both, I was editing, he was doing sound for, and I just casually overheard him talking to the producer about starting this project and going to go meet Mark Patton and talk about Nightmare on Elm Street 2. And without even introducing myself, I kind of lifted up my T-shirt to show off my Freddy phone tattoo. Mm-hmm. I was like, I am part of this cult, and I need to be a part of this project. And I don't care what it is, but I'm going to be with you to the end. But what? It, but what's interesting about that is that we still had to use signals like that to identify that hey, we're we, you know there's there we're part of a subgenre here. We we can connect and do something more powerful with that, because for a long time, gay people didn't identify as horror fans as adamantly as they are today mm-hmm. so even five years ago when i met tyler it was it was one of those it was a it was an amazing surprise to, to see a tattoo like that where someone's connecting with you and it's it's a joyous moment to be able to find you know your your tribe that way uh and now it's it's taking on a life of of its own but you know it, we were kind of still like uh, the weirdos that were bonding together to say, hey, we're not going to take this anymore, you know? Yeah. Um, the name that we brought up a few times now, Mark Patton, he is the main focus here, and he pretty much left the industry after that second Nightmare movie came out. Um, you mentioned before that Mark had already started the ball rolling um, in re- revisiting history here and reattacking the narrative that was placed out there. Was it still, though, kind of difficult to reach out to him considering uh, the bad experiences he had before with the media, especially as, as a young actor? Um, and it, did it take much to convince him to take part in the movie? Oh, no, he was actually quite accessible, and he, he's very reachable on social media. And I think when Roman reached out to him, it was pretty much like, we want to be part of telling the story because we were both shocked that... We hadn't heard it before. Like, it's a very compelling story, and it needs to be told, and we just wanted to be a part of the, the, the process. Mark was already putting the wheels in motion for a movie, mm-hmm. a book. I mean, he wanted to tell his story. He had, he had come out. And I think he was beckoning to people to create this, this, this team, you know? So I, I give him a lot of recognition for, for being able to, stand up on his own and say, you know what, I, I'm going to go and reemerge into the horror world, and I'm going to stand up for those people that have to keep quiet in the corners. So I didn't convince him to do this. He was already doing it. I just joined forces, and then once we all got together, we, we understood what direction we needed to take it. So it grew from there together. The thing, the thing that I take from Mark when watching the movie was that this clearly had become or has always been a moral issue for him. He made a stand and it cost him his career. Could it be said that he was too authentic for the movie industry? Um, I, I get, okay, I could see that. Yeah, somebody that's, that does not want to sacrifice their comfort and, their, and who they are, then yes, I guess, if you want to look at it that way, sure. But I do think that 
a lot of times what happens is we forget how overwhelming an industry like that is Mm -hmm. and 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 especially as a young person that's you're trying you're growing up you're trying to find yourself you're trying to find you're trying to develop your talents your abilities find your allies and friends and be a professional like and then on top of that there's all these unspoken horrors that you have to endure it's a lot for anybody so it's hard to say what you would do unless you're actually in that position I think for the driving force of this story for me was what, like, why would you spend your whole life trying to attain this goal and making it, like, moving to New York at such a young age, getting on Broadway, doing amazing things, becoming a movie star, and reaching that height of success, and then walk away. And I think part of that was me not understanding the time period, not understanding all the other things that go hand in hand with what he had to endure. And so to have gone through this process of making the story with Mark and with Roman, it sort of became about mentorship and how we need to pass the stories from the older generation on to the younger ones so they understand the context of the freedoms that they get to enjoy now. That is such an essential point, I think, to the documentary. And that was going to be my next question. I mean, the film documents history. Um, It talks about the rampant homophobia in the movie industry at the time. Uh, Could still be possibly be that way. You tell me. I'm not sure. Um, It also talks about the um, the AIDS crisis at the time and a lot of the paranoia that stemmed from it from other people. Um, I'm going to ask. I'm not sure age-wise where you are to me. Um, So I'm going to ask you guys, as, as... does younger film fans or younger members of the LGBT community, have they forgotten um, in any way the struggles and the hardships that uh, the older generations of gay people went through, especially someone like Mark Patton uh, during that time, that very pivotal time uh, in the 80s? I don't think they've forgotten it. I don't think they've been told. Right. And I, we, we do encounter that a lot on the road when we we meet younger fans they love the movie they love the iconic character of freddy krueger and yet most of them don't know anyone with aids they don't know anything about it and that is kind of part of why we needed to make this movie also though i do think um you know i I, having grown up in the 80s and the 90s i remember living in san francisco when i was 18 years old and i i remember that was my first realization that I didn't have a generation above me. Mm-hmm. There was there was a missing gap that I couldn't quite put my finger on, um, which basically led me to feel like you're you're in this on your own, kid. It was it was a uh, it was an interesting feeling because you know parents hadn't it, the the dialogue of speaking to your gay child about everyday issues hadn't started yet. So there was a lot that I had to figure out for myself. And even just that, without the, the addition of AIDS into the, the conversation, was a lot for a, a young person. And there's a whole, you know, all of my peers were the same way. And I think that while I under, I saw the, the horror of AIDS, I wasn't of the, the age like Mark was to have it hitting me directly where my friends were just dying. But I was experienced on all of my friends actually contracting HIV or having it surround us was was something that we weren't really equipped for either. So 
I do think that it's a matter of passing down the information and the experiences and the stories because it's, you know, while, while we have a hold on the disease at the moment, I think the real horror is the way that we were treated by society. And that's something that unless it is passed down to you through, through these stories, you're not going to know about that. That was the true horror that was going on for people. Is, do you think that's why in some ways the LGBT community and horror movies as a genre kind of helps in a way like horror movies many times are reflective of different things that are happening in society and uh, Roman it's very interesting you were talking before about when you jumped on this documentary got a role and you jumped back into the horror genre and um I don't know if you guys saw this a couple of months ago on Twitter there was a hashtag for LGBT horror and a lot of people coming out talking about how horror movies have helped them as, as gay people to express themselves and, and, found, and they found different stories through that way. I mean, do you think that this is a match that has really evolved over time or is it something that has always been there but there's, it's been more kind of like underground kind of thing? I mean, I like to think of it very often. Um, horror movies and action movies, it's kind of all the same kind of story about the hero of the movie kind of overcoming the odds and surviving. But the difference between an action movie when you're a young boy is that, you know, Rambo, Terminator, they are the heroes from the start of the movie and they always know it and they will never be weak or at least not feel like they're the hero of their own story. And in horror movies, you oftentimes are following a protagonist who doesn't know that they're the hero of their story yet. And they're going to go through the worst things imaginable and find a way out. I think for a lot of queer kids, that was that was the the helpful hand that we needed. That mm. we don't necessarily know that we're our own heroes yet, but we can be. I, I will say that I do agree with what you're saying about it. It was more underground, though. It, yeah, it took a while. I think that the dialogue that you're speaking about is the gay community being able to relate with that concept of a horror movie mm -hmm. and that we that we identify with that and i do know that uh growing up a lot of my friends did we couldn't articulate why though you know it was it's a conversation that we all are starting to see more clearly why we see ourselves in those movies but i think for a lot of us the main thing is uh you are learning to have that find that release you need to go to get up the next day and 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 be who you are by watching these movies and identifying with characters but I, I don't know if it was a real I, I don't think that it was something that we did strategically it was just we're drawn to these movies you know and and we're a lot of us are now kind of realizing that we share that experience because gay people weren't necessarily identifying as horror fans that was considered the straight the straight boys world so for me to love them as a kid i was considered different because of that you know and now now the conversations change so gay people are like oh yeah i love the, the scream queens and slasher girls they understand why now they've embraced that culture but it that did take a while to develop I um, follow you guys on social media, especially Facebook, and you had a post, I think maybe it was a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, showing pressings for the soundtrack 
to the movie, which is very exciting. Um, tell me about the soundtrack. Um, are we talking about original artists here? Um, other um, um, like previous songs that we know of? Um, what, what can you tell us about uh, the soundtrack? And also, it looked like it was kind of like a, a pink vinyl as well. Is that correct? Oh yeah. So Alexander Taylor is our composer. He made this experience so easy for us. He, I, I met him. Basically, he reached out to us and said, I really want to help you with this project. And I heard his sounds. It was exactly what I wanted. It, it, it conjures up the, the mood of the 80s. It has a very like modern feel to it. Just beautiful music. Um, it has a pop sensibility to it. Um, and, and we just... It, it follows the trend of what's out now, the, the synth wave and the, what's being pressed on vinyl. It's perfect for it. So we decided let's put our poster on it, make it pink, have it match our identity, and I love it. And we also have a great song on there by another band, Skeleton Head. Um, so it's an instrumental synth score with a, a pop song at the end, and it is available at 1984 Publishing. And what else can we say? Super exclusive. It's super exclusive. Uh, yeah, we got 50 press test. I don't know. We had a bunch at our Austin premiere, and they went as quickly as we opened the box. And we're getting a new shipment in, in a couple weeks, so mm-hmm. more people can have it as well. Um, that's so cool to know. And I really do hope that people everywhere seek out and try to watch this film at different film festivals you guys are in the middle about to embark on a huge tour um not only through the states but you're going to norway you're going to to sweden you're going to so many different places which which is really cool and you do have a website screenqueendocumentary.com where it has all the information that everyone needs to to find uh, about this movie um and i really can't wait um for the uh, the general release to happen when it does i'll be sure to plug the hell out of it because not only is it a, a fun movie to watch as a as a Nightmare on Elm Street fan and a horror fan, but I think it's a very important movie to watch and, and it stands as a reminder and I think it's really important to for people to know about Mark not only Mark's story but the story about um LGBT people in the movie industry then and now as well. So Tyler and Roman, I thank you both very much for your time today and um, once again congratulations on the documentary. Thank oh, you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. I really appreciate it.